we want to answer that question about why are we giving to grow all over again. And the first thing, and it's on your sermon outline, is that we are growing Christ followers. We are growing Christ followers. That's at the top of your sermon outline. That's our purpose as a church, growing Christ followers. And we use that phrase in two different ways. We use it as a noun phrase. It's who we are. I might say, I am a growing Christ follower. That's my identity. That's my being. I might say that of a tr- as us as a church, we're growing Christ followers as a noun. But we also say it in reference to a verb phrase. It's what we do. It's our doing that I am in the process of, and I am doing things to grow myself as a Christ follower and grow others as a Christ follower. And one essential ingredient of growing as a follower of Jesus is giving. Now, that's not just giving of your finances, but giving of your life. You think about what the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave. So one essential ingredient for us is giving. And when we're challenged to give above and beyond what's normal, like we did with our Giving to Grow campaign, that stretches us because we think, how am I going to make this fit in my budget? Do I have enough faith to believe that I'll be able to give extra to the church and still pay my bills? Or will I change my priorities because I believe in what our church is doing? This helps us to grow as Christ followers. So let me pray for us and then we'll go further. God, our Father, we come before you this morning, and we're so very humbled because of your love for us. There's nothing we could do to earn or deserve your great love for us. It is by your grace we are saved. Through faith, it's not by anything we could do, not by works. But God, you loved us, and you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. And we celebrate the fact that any person who trusts Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord will be saved. They'll be given abundant life on earth and the promise of eternal life in heaven. And here we are today, Father, to worship you. And we come to worship you and to focus today on this idea of who we are as a church and what you're doing in our church through giving to grow, just to check in, but also to consider how it is you've made us and what you've called us to. So, Father, we ask that you'd speak to us by your spirit today, as always, when we open your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's talk about giving to grow for a minute, because although we're going to update the bulletin board and although it'll be in the newsletter this week, which, by the way, you should read your newsletter. Can I get an amen? Wait. By the way, you should read your newsletter. Uh, You guys still are struggling. Um, If you haven't subscribed already, go to our website, backslash newsletter, southviewbaptist.org, backslash newsletter. Subscribe and then read it. It doesn't take too long. And I even try to put bullet points in my articles so you can skim it if you want to, right? But giving to grow, a couple things for you to know. The first is how are we doing? That's the next point on your outline. It's how are we doing? Well, our total giving to grow funds balance as of August 14th was $235,076 and, uh, $235, given to date this year. Can you give yourselves a hand? You gave that. All right, you're not very excited about this. You gave that. Amen. Yeah. 
And so our giving to gross savings account balance as of the 14th was $133,923. So we've spent more of that. Uh, and out of that, we've done bathroom project. We've spent 96000 so far. We've got a, one more bill to pay to our contractor. And um, then the other thing you need to know, our total giving to grow pledges. We had 71% pledges come in for giving to grow. So individuals or family units. Of those, 34% or one or 34 of them are 100% completed already. So that means the person pledged X amount and they've already given X amount, that exact amount. And on average, our pledges are 60% paid. Um, so we're really... I guess you would say ahead of schedule if you were to look at it that we asked you to make that commitment to give for an entire year that we're only four months in and 60% of what we had asked for had been received. So our total pledges received to date are $82,970. Now here's the other thing. When we answer the question, how are we doing? Did you? Did you go to the bathroom yet? They are finished. Amen. Now, yeah, I know it's kind of weird to clap for a finished bathroom, but if you were using the porta potties for the last two months, you know, maybe you're happy about a finished bathroom. If you remember the things and the condition of our bathroom previously, that it just kind of wore out over time. Things wear out, right? You're happy about it. Now, there's a few odds and ends to do in the bathroom, even to date. You know, uh, little things here and little things there that you'll see happen over the weeks ahead. But by and large, the bathroom is finished. And we can be thankful that the bathrooms are done. So that's kind of a look at how we're doing. Now, the next question is what remains to be done. What remains to be done with giving to grow? Well, uh, it's interesting that of the 71 people that made pledges, 10 people have not started their pledge at all. Now, that's not a bad thing, and I'm not saying that to scold anybody and say, shame on you, you haven't started their pledge. Maybe it's that they didn't plan on starting it till they get a year-end bonus or till uh, you know, some other thing, you know, a CD comes due or mature or whatever else. And so that's fine. But God has provided for us all that we need so far, even without those 10. And so those folks, I'm sure, will give as God provides for them. Our total uh, expected remaining gifts are $51,355. That's what we expect to come in through giving to grow the pledges, not our matching gifts that we graciously receive, but our pledges over the next, uh, what, eight months now to complete that. And then what's next? What's next is the bathroom or the kitchen remodel. If you've been in our kitchen, you're kind of like, oh, okay. You know, you got floor issues and you got cabinets and then there's the flow and everything. Well, our, uh, with the help of some contractors and Carl Brown leading the way and working with some folks that work in there a lot in the kitchen, we've come up with a plan. And then that this winter, that plan will uh, go into effect and we'll have the kitchen completely remodeled sometime this winter. I can't tell you when. I just know it'll be coming in the weeks ahead. The money, I believe, is already there to do it. So that's good. That's a good part. But then after that is the sanctuary ceiling, as I alluded to, the walls and some electronic updates in here. Now, we thought that we had our roof problems fixed. And then I went on vacation. Uh, and in July, we had a big rain and there was water that came in again. So we're like, um, you know, I heard that and I just shook my head and I said, Lord Jesus, please help us fix that roof. You know, get us the right guy to fix that or guys or whatever. And so that we know that no more water will come in. So when we finish it nice, new and pretty, it'll stay nice, new and pretty. 
and do the walls and everything else. So that's part of our giving to grow. But that's what's to come yet. So I wanted to update you on that. And I know that's different from a little bit of a a normal sermon. But every now and then you've got to talk about these sort of things. And so I figured it would be okay to update you on that. Now, coming back to who we are, however, we need to touch on our values as a church. Because we're going to camp on one value today, and that's intentional relationships. We have five values as a church, and they're on our website. You can go to southviewbaptist.org and click on the about us or backslash about us, and you'll see there, there are our values. The first value that we have that we practice all the time is Bible engagement. We ask you to engage the Bible. Uh, we believe in the total inerrancy and the absolute sufficiency of God's Word and its life-changing power. And that's why when we come together as a church, everything we talk about week in, week out is generally centered on God's Word. And I'm generally preaching an expository sermon, verse by verse, word by word, phrase by phrase, helping us dig out the truth of God's Word to apply it to our life. Sometimes we do something a little different like today, which will be more of a topical sermon. But what we ask you to do in engaging the Bible is regularly engage Scripture yourself. That means you read it or you hear it at least four times a week, at least 10 minutes of time. If you want to change your life, that's the number one way to do it is engage Scripture. So that's our first value. Our second value is called worshipful lifestyle. The point about worshipful lifestyle is that it's not just what happens on Sunday when we come together in what we call worship. Worship is how we live day in, day out, every day and everything. It's a constant attitude that leads us to humility and the way we relate to God and others. Our fourth value is gifted service. We talk about how we're shaped, your spiritual gift, your hearts, your abilities, your personality, your experience, everything that God did to make you who you are so he can use you for His kingdom. And that within our church and through our church, there can be ways that you can serve. And then the final one we talk about is gospel sharing. That a gospel sharing is because we have a relationship with Jesus. We have had the good news, the gospel of Jesus change us. We know we need to share that with others. And in these coming months, we're going to challenge you to do that. Next week, I won't be here. Pastor Dallas Powell will be here to introduce an idea called Who's Your One? Who's Your One is to challenge you to think who's the one person in your life you know is not a believer in Jesus that if you sought over the next few weeks to share the gospel with them and develop your relationship with them, maybe by God's grace and if they so choose, they'll trust Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So that's Who's Your One? Pastor Dallas will introduce that next week. The week after that, two weeks after that, Jonah starts. We've got our invite cards on the you know, little end tables out there and on the information counter. And grab some of these and give them to folks. I mean, the basic question is, you know, Jonah, how'd that work out for you? And every week, we're going to look straight from Scripture at what Jonah did. And we're going to see ourselves in Scripture and going, oh, yeah. It's a sermon series specifically designed for you to invite unchurched friends to. So that it's going to benefit you that come to church every week, but that you can bring somebody who doesn't normally come to church and they're going to go, wow, the Bible, even the Old Testament talks to my life. Yeah, it does. And so we want you to bring them. We've also got it on social media and on our website where you can share that. So that starts two weeks for today and it's for the final four weeks in September. And then in October, we'll do an entire sermon series on who's your one. But today... 
We're going to focus in on intentional relationships. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is uh, our touchstone passage today about intentional relationships. We want to seek more than shallow acquaintances. I don't know about you. I have some neighbors I call hey neighbors because, you know, I see them down the street and I'm like, hey, neighbor. And, you know, you see them at the grocery store. You're like, oh, hey, I know you. You live down the street, but you don't even know their name. You're not like that. Do you know everybody on your street's name? Okay, you do. Nobody's on your street, yay-hoo. Uh, he lives out in the countryside. There's nobody in the half mile, and he knows the Porter Strass family. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we have neighbors like that, right? Or maybe somebody that you work with that you know they work in the same place because you see them in the parking garage or you see them there, but, and you, but they're in a different department. And you're like, hey, man, how are you? And that's all you know. Yeah, we're going to have some people like that. But God puts other people in our life, family members, friends, co-workers that we work with uh, more regularly, our next-door neighbors, or at least our neighbors closer to us that actually come out of their house and talk to us. By the way, you remember my story about the CIA neighbors that, you know, I told about when they lost their dog and stuff? They've been walking their dog in their neighborhood. They've actually been friendly and talked, so I think maybe they don't work for the CIA. <laughs> maybe they do work for the CIA and they listened to my sermon and they figured that they <laughs> needed to act more normal or something. I don't know. I don't know. In any case, the CIA neighbors, and I'm not going to share their names in case you know them and that would really embarrass me, because uh, I did stop and ask their names again and I know their dog's name, which I won't say that again either. In any case, back to what I was talking about. God has given us relationships so that we might share his love with others. One of our volunteers with our International Student Fellowship that Mark Bogan works with, Clarence Gillette, I love Clarence, former missionary. You just look at him and you think, this man walks with Jesus. He's just got character written all over him. And not just because he's old and has gray hair and wrinkles, right? But it just shines out from him. He said, we seek to build a relationship strong enough to bear the weight of the gospel. And that's what our life should be like. And it's not that we're doing it with ulterior motives, because is the gospel saving somebody's soul for eternity, giving them abundant life an ulterior motive? No, it's not. It's the apex, the pinnacle of love. And because of the humility you have, the foundation of your character, and because the way your character is growing up into Christ, and you love others like Jesus loves you, you want to share his love with others. And so we seek to share that love with others. Now, I've got our key verse here, and I'm going to ask you, if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you do that? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it's on the screen, or you might have it in your Bibles. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Thank you. You can be seated. May God add to the reading of his word. Why are we giving to grow? Why are we giving to grow is our main question on our sermon outline today. And why really is the most important question? Why is the existential question? Why is the motivational question? Why? Some of you have toddlers that ask, why? 
Maybe you have teenagers that ask, why? Of course, the number one answer is because I said so, right? Yeah. And in this case, because God's word says so. Why are we giving to grow? Well, the first point here from our text is motivating others. You get that from verse 24, motivating others. Notice what it says again, and I'm reading from the New International. That's what I memorized this scripture in a long time ago because I'm older than you think I am. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, let's take a minute and take apart this scripture and talk about it. Consider means to give careful attention, to be thoughtful, to be deep in your concern. This is not just a passing, "Mm, okay, this is not skimming the blog post. This is doing research and reading everything on that page, going and finding some other stuff, going down the rabbit hole, if you will, and learning things at a deeper level. So it says, what are we supposed to do here? Consider deeply how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, I've never been a horse guy. Um, I, I grew up in the city. I mean, you know, we didn't have a place for a horse in the backyard, so I wasn't a horse guy. I went to college, and one of my best friends was a gal named Tammy, and Tammy was Texas rodeo queen. I kid you not. She had the fancy hair that, you know, and the big hat with the crown and the sash, and she was something else, Tammy. And she said to me, Aaron, you got to come with me to such and such rodeo. I didn't know anything about rodeos, but since Tammy was my friend and she was pretty cute, I went along with her. And she'd introduce me as her friend, and those cowboys would look at me like, where'd you get this wiry city kid from? I felt terribly out of place. But Tammy taught me some things about horses. And you know, there are different types of spurs for different types of applications, and sometimes you don't even need spurs, depending on what you're doing and the training of your horse, and Mr. Carl Brown can tell you about that too. But you have the right idea And that's an accurate translation because spur in the New Testament, most often this Greek word is used with a negative connotation. It's used when it's in anger or in disagreement. And it's to stimulate or to rouse or to incite or to provoke is the other way that this uh, word is translated in the New Testament. And so what did it say to us? We're to spur... In other words, because we've seriously considered, we're supposed to seriously motivate and provoke people to what? Let's go back to our scripture. Toward love and good deeds. Well, that's not what you expect to follow there, is it? If you're going to spur somebody like, yeah, giddy up, you don't expect love and good deeds to follow that. But that's exactly what the scripture says. And keep in mind what kind of love it's talking about. That kind of love, that's the word agape. It's God's love. It's what we call otherish love here because it's God-powered. Only God can do it. It's other-focused and it's self-sacrificing. It doesn't come natural because for us, selfish is natural. Otherish is God-powered, right? So we need God's power. We've got to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us because we've trusted Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. And with the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are able to love in a way that is not normal, that is not natural for us because it's not selfish. 
it's otherish. And when we motivate others, because we've thought about how important it is, and we're going to spur them on and motivate them, it's towards love. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You notice what comes next. To spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Have you thought about how love and good deeds are connected? That it's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to show, I love you. And not everybody's comfortable or good at saying, I love you. But are you good at showing you love someone? Yesterday, in Miss Georgia Welch's memorial service, I shared about a moment I had with Georgia when she was in the hospital and she'd made the decision to discontinue dialysis. And we knew it would just be a matter of days till she passed into glory and met Jesus face to face. And I was just overcome with the emotion because the way I felt about this dear lady and how she loved so many so well. Yesterday, I said, everybody that's in our church has probably worn a piece of clothing. Yes, a costume for the Easter pageant, but a piece of clothing that Georgia either made or curated. She had her hands on it. Everybody that's been in our church for a period of time has eaten some food, if not a lot of food, that Miss Georgia made, right? And with these things in my mind, I bent over and I said, Miss Georgia, I love you. And I gave her a kiss on the cheek and she kissed me back. And I squeezed her hand and I walked out of her room with tears streaming down my face. And I thought, that's what love is. A lady who spent herself on behalf of others. Friends, you're not Miss Georgia. There's only one Miss Georgia. You're you. But you're the only you God made. And how are you going to spend yourself on behalf of others? So this is me motivating you, spurring you to good deeds and love, right? I'm being nice about it. God loves you, and God asks you to love others. Which leads to a question for you. How do I encourage others? In your life, what's your natural love language, your natural way that comes normal for you to encourage others? What is it that you do to encourage others? Don't just write encourage others down. Write the answer to the question, too. Think about it a little bit. That next question is how closely do I follow Jesus? When Jesus was asked about the first and greatest commandment, He said you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And He said the first and the greatest commandment, that's what that one is. But He said the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That you... Spend yourself in an otherish way on behalf of God. That you encourage others as is your personality, as is your giftedness, as is your ability, and even beyond that. Now, the reason I ask, how do I follow Jesus after I ask, how do I encourage others? Well, what do you think the reason I asked the second after the first? Anybody? They're related, right? When you're following Jesus, you can't help but love others. 
Because Jesus loved others. When you're following Jesus, you can't help but serve others because Jesus served others. When you're following Jesus, you're not going to be as prone to selfishness. You are going to be prone to otherishness because that's who Jesus was. So we give to grow our church and we live to grow ourselves and others because we are growing Christ followers. So that's motivating others. Let's move on. The next one is meeting together. Meeting together, the first part of verse 25. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, that's easy enough to understand. There's no funny words there. We're to meet together. It's referring to the act of meeting together, not the actual assembled group. So it's not saying just you know, be with the church. It's saying, actually keep coming to church. Don't stop coming and don't get out of the habit of fellowship with one another is what that says. Your first question there asks, what is my habit of church attendance? It's interesting to know that our church is not unlike other Southern Baptist churches from around the nation. There are 44,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States with almost 16 million members that something unique has happened in the last 10 years. Church attendance numbers may have stagnated. Ours are relatively flat. But church membership has gone up a little bit. So where's the gap? The gap is in frequency of attendance. That people that used to attend every Sunday now only attend three out of four Sundays. People that attended three out of four Sundays now only attend half the Sundays. So we may have more people on our rolls, but we have fewer people in our pews. And why is that? Well, it may be economics. You know, we're blessed in order that we can afford to go on a vacation. Or our kids are in sports, so we're out of town while they're doing that. Or maybe it's our job takes us out of town. That's economics too. you got to pay the bills. I mean, we can't fault you for that. But... What's your personal habit of church attendance? Some of you are here every time the doors are open. God bless you. I love you. We couldn't do it without you. And some of us are here not as often because of work or other things I've noted. Maybe you struggle with sickness. Maybe you struggle with anxiety. And it's hard for you to be around groups, even at church. But we have to consider our own personal habit of church attendance. We've got a goal here to increase our church attendance by 20% in, uh, by next June. And we're doing everything we can behind the scenes on that, contacting every person who we have contact information for, inviting them back, inviting them to be a part of things. But we've also got to bring new people in. That's where something like Jonah and you inviting somebody you know makes all the difference. Yes, we're going to be on the radio. Yes, we're on Facebook. Yes, we're going to put banners outside and do all the kind of things to advertise, if you will. But the most effective means of bringing new people into a church is you looking in the mirror and saying, okay, I'm going to talk to my friend today and tell him, you know, you need to come to church. My pastor's preaching the sermon series. I think it'd be perfect for you and me to hear together in the next few weeks. Come with me and bring him. Your second question there is, what's my habit of Christian fellowship? Now, this one I'm extending beyond church attendance, right? Church attendance is one thing. That's when you're here with us. You come to worship. You come to Sunday school. You come to other activities we do. That's what we do. We gather together so that we're equipped in here to go live out there. 
But what's your habit of Christian fellowship beyond attendance in church? What's your habit of Christian fellowship? Do you have other Christians in your home that you share fellowship with? That's good. Do you have other Christians at work that you share fellowship with? That's great. Do you have other Christian friends that you make time for to uh, have a disciple-making relationship, where it's either peer-to-peer or mentor-to-protege, that you're growing in Christ as His followers? I ask that question because I'm assuming you should say, oh, he's saying I should be doing that. Yes, I'm saying you should be doing that. Your job is to seek to grow as a Christ follower, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And you're only going to do that when you're daily engaging the Bible, when you're seeking to live a worshipful lifestyle, and when you're intentional in relationship with others. That's what God intends for us. Let's move on to the second half of verse 25. Verse 25 again says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's already up on your big screen there, encouraging others. Encouraging others is what we should be about. Everybody knows what it means to be encouraged. I don't think I even need to define that one for you, right? You know the kind of things that encourage you, and you know the kind of things that discourage you. And although we might use um, Dr. Chapman's idea of love languages and five different love languages, and not everybody receives love the same way, we can all seek to encourage others as it works for us. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Your Bible may have, like mine, that the word day has got a capital D because it's talking about the day in which Christ returns. That phrase is used throughout the New Testament that way. 1 Corinthians 3.13, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, 2 Thessalonians 2.2, Jude 6, Revelation 6.17, just to name a few in case you're wondering about that. But here's your first question. Why should I care about others? Um, time out. Pastor Aaron, did you write that question? Yes, I wrote that question. Why should you care about others? Do I even need to answer this question? God loves everyone. Every person, every tribe, every tongue, every age in creation. And he sent you and me to tell. And we should care about them. We should, probably the better word is love them because God loves them. And because we love them, we will serve them. And because we love them, we will tell them about Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's John 3.16. But remember 1 John 3.16, the little epistle towards the back? That if we love others, we'll lay down our lives for them. We'll Serve them. So your final question asks, why such urgency about others? What does it say there? And all the more as you see the day approaching. What day did I tell you that is? The day in which life on earth as we know it stops because Jesus splits over the eastern sky and comes back to take his church to glory and he will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. And those who have trusted Christ as their Savior will spend eternity in heaven. And those who have not will spend eternity 
separated from God in torment and hell. And you and I have friends and family members who do not know Jesus as their personal Savior. And it is our responsibility, our privilege, our urgent need to share Jesus with them. Our scripture memory of the verse of the month there is at the bottom of your outline today. And we add that as conclusion. And let's repeat that together. John eleven twenty five through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? John eleven twenty five through 26. Jesus says he is exclusively, absolutely the only way to eternal life. There is no other religion. There is no other person. It's him. I hope you didn't close your Bibles yet because I want you to look back at verse 23. I know I just pulled out verse 24 and 25 and we focused on those, especially verse 24, based on our purpose this morning. But notice Hebrews 10, 23. It says this, let us hold unswervingly without letting go, no matter what, to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. The same Jesus who said whoever believes in him will have eternal life is faithful. He is faithful to His Word. He is faithful to His promises. He is faithful in your life. He is faithful in our church life. He will be faithful to your friends that need Him as well. What was our question today? Why are we giving to grow? We're giving to grow in order to grow ourselves like Jesus, in order that others might grow to know Him too. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as always, we're thankful for your word and your Holy Spirit who helps us understand. And as we've considered these words today and the challenge that we should love others as you call us to. May we surrender however you call us to. Like I talked about yesterday, love requires surrender. And because we love you, God, we need to surrender our sinfulness and the habits that separate us from you. Because we love others, we need to surrender our rights to be right or to use our time like it's, it's our own and give ourselves, spend ourselves, serve others in your name. So God, would we change because we can't help but stay the same for your glory and your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.